Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Haley, it's Luke. Hi, Luke. What's up? I assume you're coming to Trivia Night this week? I am coming to Trivia Night this week. I will be there. Well, I just wanted to give you a heads up. You know, we always give bonus points for folks who are wearing any sort of like 80s retro attire. Right. So we're going to give double bonus points this week if it's 80s retro holiday attire. Ooh, I think I might have to raid my mother's closet for that. I think you should, because you might need those bonus points to win. Hold on a minute. I might need bonus points to win. Are you saying I won't be able to win on my own depth of knowledge of 80s trivia? I'm not saying that necessarily, but I am saying you're going to want the bonus points. (laughs) Well, let's just say I'm coming back and I'm ready to win. And I know last time we were right on the cusp of winning until we blew it all with that bonus question. I have made sure to eliminate the weak players in our team, and only the champions will be here for this upcoming trivia night. So just know, just know. <laughs> in in your dedication to win, you have actually eliminated your own parents from your team. <laughs> yes, that is the case. That's amazing. In my dedication to win, my parents have been kicked off the team. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> They're sitting here with me right now, screaming in the background. <laughs> <laughs> the Dirt Dynasty has finally fallen. <laughs> the dynasty is crumbling, and <laughs> Emily and I will rise to the top. All right. Well, wear your 80s holiday attire, and you might have a chance. <laughs> I will be sure to don my best 80s holiday attire. Perfect. We'll see you then. <laughs> All right. See you Tuesday. Let's see ya. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 42, A Pop Princess and a Video Game Wizard. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, December 16th, 1989. Well, friends, we've made it. No, not to the end of 1989, but to an episode I've been anxiously awaiting since this show launched 10 months ago. And I couldn't be more excited about it, so let's dive right in. Why don't we go in order from the least interesting pop culture happenings from 30 years ago this week to the most. We'll start with sports. Once again this week in 1989, Major League Baseball saw yet another new record-breaking contract signed, the fifth and final one we'll discuss on this show for a while. When the Kansas City Royals, who started this whole proverbial pissing contest by signing pitcher Brett Saberhagen to a contract worth just under $3 million, after seeing the record broken three times over in a matter of a couple of weeks by other teams in the league, signed yet another pitcher, Mark Davis, to a $3.25 million contract on December 11th, completely stealing the thunder from the California Angels' $3.2 million contract with Mark Langston a couple weeks earlier. 
In television news, we saw yet another cartoon series casualty when on December 16th, the 13th and final episode of the Karate Kid animated series aired, just three months after its debut. While the show was legitimately terrible and certainly deserved to be canceled, I'm a little surprised that it was. The third film in the series had just released in late June and the world was still in love with Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. And while neither of them were a part of the animated series, some of the most sought after and recognizable voices in cartoons were a part of the show. I doubt many folks would be familiar with them by name, but among those included in the series were the actors who voiced major characters from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, G.I. Joe, The Transformers, Tiny Toons, and Winnie the Pooh, just to name a few. You would definitely recognize their voices if you heard them. Nonetheless, the world just wasn't ready for a new take on the story of Daniel Sun and Mr. Miyagi. In music, the number one single on the Billboard charts for the second straight week was Billy Joel's pop classic, We Didn't Start the Fire, the success of which also catapulted his album, Stormfront, which had released in October of 89, to the number one album spot on the Billboard charts. Another fun album released from this week in 1989, one that probably very few of you are familiar with, but which I owned, loved, listened to, and laughed at often for years to come, was the Monty Python comedy music compilation Monty Python Sings, which featured hits such as The Penis Song, Every Sperm is Sacred, and Sit on My Face, just to name a few. It's truly a wonder the things my parents allowed me to own as a preteen. Next up, in order of importance, at least to some, was the birth of modern-day pop princess Taylor Swift on December 13th of 1989. I have a couple of friends for whom this was a pretty important event in pop culture history. Past guest Jolie Britt of DC Talk fandom fame and our mutual friend Ellen Cooley. So I invited them on to gush a bit about their little idol. Here's our chat. Jolie and Ellen, welcome to 30 Pop. So good to have you on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having so us. So you probably don't know this, but 30 years ago this past week, December 13th, there was a pop star born into the world. We do know this. I do know exactly yeah. who you're talking You probably about. don't know who it is. I do know well, who I'm going to take about. a wild guess. I'm going to take one guess. But it's Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Unbelievable. Just kidding. I knew. And so, I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. So Jolie, well, I started this show in February and the first question you had for me <laughs> when I first told you about this show was, can I be on the Taylor Swift episode? There's going to be a Taylor Swift episode, right? And I had no intention of making a Taylor Swift episode. Oh, that would have been a mistake. As, I mean, birthdays and deaths are things that we sort of, we talk about on the show. I'll mention them, but right. like there's the other things that happened this week that are also a part of this episode was like major award-winning films. But I mentioned to you via text the other day, hey, next week's Taylor's birthday. And you're like, I know, I've got a crew ready to go. So <laughs> yeah, we're just on. Listen, I've been time. waiting. I've been waiting to get called back. I feel like my first episode, we really just trashed the artists that I love, DC well, Talk. Yeah. And now they we're here to celebrate someone. We're going to do the same so. thing this time. So oh, no. We're not really. So I, I'm not I'm not a hater of Taylor Swift. I was at one point in my we're life. We're going to change I will your admit mind. That. I will admit that. So you're going to make me a hater? No, no. he is. He's not a hater. No, I'm he's not, not a, a hater. hater. No, no, okay. no. Okay. I, I was at one point. When she was early on, I did not get it. There was some award show where I think like her and Miley Cyrus performed something together and she sounded terrible and okay. she played a sparkly acoustic guitar mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i was like i'm just not feeling this she was probably your age though or close to your age so maybe it's a different experience we right. we are fairly close we are i am a couple years older than taylor okay however i do feel like she went through a lot of the same experiences as 
we did around the same time. Plus, she was a little more mature probably than I was, as evidenced by her music. But I also kind of wanted to be Taylor Swift as part of it. Okay. So when I was in high school, college, I you know was playing guitar writing some music every once in a while and I would record it. But then I would see Taylor Swift on award shows and I'd be like, yeah, I could probably do that. Uh, You totally could. I've heard you play music plenty of times. You're significantly better musician than Taylor Swift is. That's not true. Please don't talk about that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying she's not a good songwriter. I'm saying musicianship. Okay. You are far superior. Let's not make this about me. (laughs) I also think you have a better, you have a better voice than her. Well, but we'll come back to that later. So you do. What I will say is that 1989, when that record came out, which is wonderful, that's probably the record we'll talk about most today, just because this is it's a show. 1989, 30, yeah. That record was where I kind of got it. I was like, okay, Bad Blood is amazing. It's and a great. I still love it to this day. I have a lot of stories about Bad Blood, but I'm okay. going to spare you. <laughs> Maybe give me one. Do you remember the Instagram kind of press that she gave before Bad Blood came out where it was like all of her girlfriends, her girl squad? Right. Let me, let me be real clear about my fandom of Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Like, I'm not, I don't hate her, but I, I don't follow her on social media. So, no, I don't remember then you don't any underst- of what you're talking then about. Then you don't understand the whole the point. Half of it. Yeah. Like, you don't understand. I know the any story of, of Bad Blood. Mm-hmm. I know that. Ellen, take it away. Uh, so, here's the deal. <laughs> I'm in if trouble if right one now? person is not an actual fan of Taylor, it's just because they're not paying attention is the issue. I don't know if um, that's true, I, I, go ahead. I think so. If you really deep dive into all that she does pop culture-wise and all she does as an artist and to her craft, you may not necessarily choose to listen to her songs all the time or that be her go-to, but yeah. you will eventually, I think if you're paying enough attention, have a, a true appreciation for her. And I her do craft. have appreciation. I have appreciation yeah. for her, especially around the way that she engages the new music industry. Right. She is an advocate for artists who are not as privileged as her. And I appreciate that a whole lot. So mm-hmm. I'll give her that. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't, if I never genuinely, if I never heard another Taylor Swift song in my life, one, I wouldn't notice. And two, I wouldn't mind. Like, it's fine. I don't hate her music, but I just, I'm sad for him. It's just, I know. <laughs> what is he missing out on? <laughs> so much. So much. Have you listened to Lover? No. You haven't oh, listened to this album? See, I know we have I'm to sorry. focus on I'm 89. Peaking. I know. I'm probably peaking because I'm yelling at you. Bit, yeah. The whole point of this podcast is focusing on 89. But in your spare time, you really should deep dive into Lover because... Well, so Lover's her, her 2019 record. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. It, it's, li- actually, listening it's, to it would be great. It's excellent. If you liked 1989, mm-hmm. you liked the musicality of 1989. It was great music. Yeah. I mean, the the beats that she laid down, like all of the I synth doubt she stuff. laid those down. Okay, well, but she had something to do with it. Sure. Her producers did a great job. Sure, because she hired the right people. And, she and writes, they wanted to work with she her. She wrote killer songs. Yes. I'll give, that's 100% true. Now, if you listen to Red with a songwriter's eye. What is that? That Red is her album is, from 2012. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it begins with State of Grace, which that bass line you would love. Okay. I'm is, serious. Was she still doing country music at this point? No. This, no, is, well, this was her transition from country to pop album. Okay. And it is excellent. It is underrated. And as far as a songwriting album, her songwriting in that album is probably the best, right. I would say. Really? Okay. If true Taylor Swift fans think Red, Red is, is the, the epitome. best songwriting album. That's where you get the full introduction into her 
poetry in her lyrics, I would say. All too well. Yeah. I would, um, honestly, we've never talked about this, but I would even go as far back on a little hint of that and speak now. With Dear John. Dear John, Enchanted, yeah. Haunted, all of those. All of those songs. Yeah. Those are Disney tracks? <laughs> I'm just trying to keep a... Offended. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a fair question. It is a fair question. It certainly sounds like it, but no. No, those are not Disney um, But, so Red's best songwriting album, I would say that 1989 has some um, excellent uh, production, musical production, mm-hmm. and I think that Lover combines those two. Okay. So hey. I think if you like mm-hmm. 1989, you will really like Lover. There was also a time in my life when I did not understand the appeal of Justin Bieber, and I, I got it on one record and then went back and sort of retroactively appreciated records. So yeah. this is there is a precedent There's for me time. going back and like appreciating They're on Spotify. You can find them. Yeah. Spotify is not great for artists, as, oh. as you would know. No, if I know. But Taylor's Taylor fighting Taylor fan, for that. So. Taylor is Taylor fighting, is for, fighting it. for it. But you're still using it. So. Yeah, I am. I am. Now that Taylor has fought for fought it. Fought for it. Hmm. All right, well, we'll come back to that some other time, too. I'm on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so convenient, is it guys. you use Spotify or your music is on Spotify? It's either or. here, there, and there. <laughs> okay. So, so we're eight minutes in. Y'all told me you had episodes worth oh, of T-Swift okay. content. Okay, so what do you want us to do? Like, drop knowledge about Taylor? Like, Continue to, like, okay. sell. Well, for those of you who haven't read her L essay about turning 30. Mm -hmm. I would recommend it, especially if you are a female in the 30-something range or late 20s. Right. She wrote an essay that kind of goes the 30 things that she learned uh, before turning 30, and I think it's excellent. Yeah, Um, it is excellent. You see a lot of depth of her in that whole article. If you have this picture of Taylor, which is the curly-haired girl with the glittery guitar, I think that article... That alone will show you a whole completely different face of Taylor at that point, if that's yeah. all you know of her. So are you more a fan of her person or of her music? Both. I get that you're a fan of both. You can't separate it. That's you, the great thing about absolutely Taylor. absolutely can, though. There's no, you, one of those things that keeps you um, engaged. Well, that's a great point. There, Her music and her are so intertwined, you really can't separate the two. That's just kind of the beauty of Taylor. She gives you just enough little nuggets of her life to keep you interested, but also has a, a good way of keeping herself private when needed. But I don't know. I mean, I just can't live without her songwriting. I guess if I had to choose one, it would that, be that. Felt it would like be that. an exaggeration. <laughs> you can't live without her. Did she, okay. Was that a Taylor Swift Here's a question lyric? for you. Are you? No. So Dolly Parton, would we agree that she's an incredible songwriter? Of course. Of course she is, right? Incredible person. But what is it that everybody talks about with Dolly Parton? Her songwriting. No. No. No, it's absolutely it's not. No. Until the Dolly Parton podcast uh, that recently came out, nobody talked about Dolly Parton's songwriting. I absolutely do. On, I a, love... on a pop culture level. They talked about all of the outside things uh, about Dolly that her were boobs. different. Her boobs, okay. her, her In dress. In the 80s, I think that was true. I think that's I true think it's now. I true today. I think that's true now. Here's the thing about Taylor. It's going to be very similar. You're going to think about her glittery guitar and her curly hair. And in 30 years from now, we're going to be talking about how good of a songwriter she is. I mean, truly. I was already talking about how good of a songwriter she is. (laughs) I don't mean to be uh, defensive. I feel like I'm being like taste blamed or something. Like I... (laughs) I, I guess that I'm not can a hater. Can we add that to the dictionary? Explain. Yeah, yeah we, that, we would be good people for that. Doubt. Let me explain what Taylor was doing here. If that's the podcast y'all want to start, we can, we can start. Taste we, we got it. Okay, perfect. All right. 
yeah. from Million Media Group, let 2021. Me just, <laughs> let me just say one more time, like, I am not a hater of Taylor Swift. I just, yeah. I'm just like not terribly bit. familiar. Okay. I'm playing devil's advocate yeah. a little bit so yeah. that we okay. have a conversation. Okay. Right. And we're not just all gushing. So, okay. so I would say, back to the question of whether you can really separate Taylor from her music. So Taylor, from the very beginning, was writing about her life. Writing about her friends, writing about her relationship, high school, her parents. Tim McGraw, how much she loved him, teardrops on her guitar. You know. Yeah, she was writing about her life. Okay, she continues to do that, and she walks this line. She she came into this at the right time because right when MySpace was happening, and then social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you for all explaining of those what things social media is. Started happening. <laughs> Taylor was able to take her music to her fans really quickly mm-hmm. and use social media to really make fans feel like they had some sort of access to her life. Sure, yeah. And that access extended into her songs. So whenever an album came out, we were listening to the lyrics, trying to figure out who in the world this song was about. And I don't actually was it Tony know. Romo or was it? Jake Gyllenhaal or Jake Gyllenhaal was that a person? John was that, Mayer. I just Jake yeah. was that Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, if you listen to Red, you would know that that I, Jake Gyllenhaal is a thing. Yeah, all too well is about him. But um, I don't know that he would catch that that's Jake. Probably not from like because he doesn't know experience. her like we know her. I, and, and I don't know Jake apparently enough either to be on a first name basis. But <laughs> well, but, but I mean she and she like knows that about her fans and she gives you like little nuggets as she's leading up to um, album time so that she has like all of these, like she's an incredibly intelligent person when it comes to marketing. She knows yeah. how to do it right. She has perfectly. all of these like kind of Easter eggs, Easter eggs. She has all mm-hmm. these Easter eggs that you, um, she drops on her social media and they're somehow connected to the next single that she's going to put out. And when she has her music videos, she'll have like, random Easter egg kind of things that tell you that, hey, the Dixie Chicks are going to have a song collaboration on this next album. Do you leave any room for the possibility that perhaps there's a whole team of people? Oh, definitely. But, the, but coming up with those uh, ideas. But there is, but at the same time, I do think that she started that herself. She had the ability to make that connection with her fans, kind of see what they wanted, what would hint at them. And I do just happen to know, the group that she was with prior, they at some point in her career, she did that marketing piece so well, they essentially called it the Taylor effect and just let her run with it. Meaning like the record label she was with? Right. Okay. And so she, they, they at some point saw, hey, she's doing this really well. She has this relationship with her fans. It's working. We'll just let her kind of take the reins on And to this. that point, if she has people on her team, like she's clearly running it. Like, who cares if she has people on her team that are brilliant like that, sure. right? She's yeah. clearly the person that's making it happen. I just want to make sure that everybody gets credit. That is due. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's, totally. that's, all, that's all I'm trying to but, do. So let's do this real quick because we, we really don't have a ton of time to spend on well, this trivial topic, but I do. Trivial? <laughs> trivial. Wow. Okay. I, feel, I feel burned. <laughs> My heart. But let's talk about this singer-songwriter. We, we like can't okay. make eye contact with Luke right now. <laughs> Okay. Things have gone south. <laughs> so you each get a separate answer on this. There's going to okay. be a couple questions that I want each of your answer, and then one that you're going to do a combined. Do answer. we need to so, like okay. go in separate rooms no. so we don't copy? Okay. No. Okay. But I do want your first gut reaction. We're just going to go with it, even if whenever you listen back to this episode, you're like, I don't stand by that. Okay. First Taylor song that you loved. Joey that Fair. I loved. First, first ever like, loved. what was the first song that hooked you? Love story. Love story. What was yours? Fearless. Okay. I don't know either of those songs. 
what is your favorite Taylor Swift ever album? Album. Oh, mm, you can only have one. Oh no, it's either Red or Lover. Yeah, exactly. And this you is can really only have one. I would say Lover. Right I'm going to go with Lover just because it blends everything about her. It's like Red 2.0. I agree. It's Red for her 30s. Mm-hmm. If there were a Taylor Swift album that you had to never hear again in your life, which one would it be? Ooh. Maybe the first one. Taylor Swift. Yeah. The self-titled. self-titled. Okay. Yeah. Joint answer. Top five Taylor Swift songs <laughs> okay. in reverse order. So fifth <laughs> best so five, to first five, best. Three, first okay. best. Okay. So number five. Hold on. Let's pull this up. Well, We've thought about this actually before. We so have a pen and paper? No. I just want, I just want to. We're going to work this number, out number, in real time. You've got three gonna, minutes, by the way. Wait. This is audio. This is an audio platform. <laughs> oh, Let people hear your all too well. Are we going to slip in Cornelia Street in here? Because that deserves a talk. Well, I think Cornelia Street or... I think you have to choose one. One, one from Lover, obviously. From lover. But is, is it, is it, is it Lover? lover? <laughs> you got two and a half minutes okay. left. Oh, so, oh, oh, we get to pull all these up. I would say Bad Blood's probably number five. Really? I think Bad Blood's in there. I think All really? Too Well is in the top. I think... Love Story is certainly there. Yeah, it, you have to. I would say Love Story Five. Love Story Five because okay. it's. I agree. Love it's early five. on. We're not we're deep diving. Love Story Five. Love Story so five. Love Story Five. Minute forty five left. Uh, would you really say Bad Blood over like Blank Space or Out of the Woods? Well, I had I did sing Out of the Woods on stage at your wedding. So right, which is wonderful. But <laughs> as far as songs. Blank Space, though. I mean, Blank Space. You, is you do remember incredible. where you were the first time you heard Blank Space, right? That's one no, of those songs. No, I remember to me. where I was the first time I heard Bad Blood. Oh, interesting. We might have an argument on that one. Okay, well, so number four would be a tie between uh, Bad, Blood Bad Blood and, and Blank, Blank Space. Space. Okay, number three. Um, you still only get five songs. You get that right. We can't tie. No, <laughs> you can tie, but then you skip a place. Um, so. No, okay, then we'll ch- we'll I'll go with Bad Blood. Okay, we'll Bad stick Blood. with that. Great. What did we say for five? Love story. love story. Love story, bad blood. We already know number one, so we just need two more. I, I think lover is... Lover number three? Number three. 50 seconds. Do we need anything from reputation in there? No. Reputation, fearless, red. We already have one from red. We have one from red, but reputation deserves something. Do you, you understand the rules. That I'm asking just for your five favorite songs. They don't, you don't have to get representation. You told us they, they have to be in order from five to one. <laughs> That's correct. But you don't have to get representation from <laughs> every No, we will definitely album. get reputation okay. but they, from every but album. J- Stop. What if your five favorite <laughs> songs are on one album? Stop That's it. never going to happen. There's just so much to choose from that you can't. Stop it, Luke. Let us talk. 15 seconds. <sighs> so we've got Love Story. Delicate. Got, ooh, delicate. delicate. That's pretty good. Four. Um, love Story, Bad Blood, Delicate. Hey, this has been really fun. Thank you all no! so much. For Are up. you kidding? Number one is All Too Well, and number two is... I still think, actually, we need to go back to Red. I think number two is going to be from Red as well. We are 10 State seconds over time. So. Number two is State of Grace, and number one is All Too Well. Would you like to wish Taylor happy birthday just happy in case birthday, she Taylor. happens hey, to listen Taylor, to Hey, Taylor, if you listen to this podcast, my name's Jolie Britt. I totally want to be in your squad. Just give me a call. Ellen Cooley. Same. <laughs> Happy birthday. We love Happy you. Happy birthday. We love you, Taylor. You're number one and two fans. Okay. That, that's sufficient, I think. Thank <laughs> you all so much <laughs> for coming Happy birthday on. to you. And Happy cut.
I did spend some time with Taylor's latest record, Lover, after this conversation, and its opening track articulated my feelings about the young Miss Swift's music pretty perfectly. In her words, it isn't love, it isn't hate, it's just indifference. I'm glad Jolie and Ellen are so obsessively in love with her, but I just kind of don't really care. Huge thanks to them for being a part of this episode regardless. Now on to the most important pieces of 30-year-old pop culture news. In Hollywood, the number one film at the box office just a couple of weeks after its release was the wonderfully absurd National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which we talked about on the show a couple weeks ago. It's kind of amazing that it was the number one film at the box office in light of the movies that were debuting in theaters this weekend. Two incredible multiple award-winning films, each starring the almost always brilliant Morgan Freeman. Glory, with Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington, who won both the Oscar and Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the film. And Driving Miss Daisy, co-starring the late Jessica Tandy, who won the Oscar for Best Actress and the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy. Morgan Freeman also won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy. The film took home the Oscars for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay, and the Golden Globe for Best Comedy as well. With the success of these two films releasing on the same weekend on the heels of his breakout performance earlier in the year as Principal Joe Clark in Lean on Me, even in light of the other blockbuster culture-shifting movies from 1989, Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Back to the Future 2, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, etc., I think it's safe to say 1989 was the year of Morgan Freeman. Seriously. While he'd been acting for decades already at this point, 1989 is when Morgan Freeman became a household name and found a lifelong spot in the VIP section of Hollywood's A-list, where he remains to this day. For me, though, at 10 years old, as well as for every Nintendo-loving kid on the planet at the time, there was a far more exciting theatrical release 30 years ago this week. The Wizard, starring Fred Savage, Jenny Lewis, Christian Slater, Bo Bridges, and nine-year-old Luke Edwards as the nearly mute video game wizard himself, Jimmy Woods. I was able to hop on a call earlier this week to talk to Luke about his experience working on this fantastic, nostalgia-rich movie. Here's our interview. Luke, welcome to 30 Pop. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. So we are looking back this week, 30 years at the debut of what I think was your debut film. Is that right? The Wizard? Yeah, my first feature. Yeah, definitely. So I, I rewatched the film this morning, which I have loved for every moment of the last 30 years. And I couldn't help but wonder what the process was like for you of getting cast in this film when you don't really have a ton of lines, but you're a huge character. So what was the casting process like for you in this? You know, unfortunately, I don't really remember this casting process really very well. It was, you know, it was mostly about, you know, an an essence, (laughs) as it often is, that they were looking for. And, um, you know, there wasn't a lot, there aren't a lot of scenes, there wasn't a lot of dialogue to work from. But the the director, Todd Holland, he told me that in all their work with kids, they didn't, you know, they had a hard time finding kids who who could focus. So, yeah, so he said that I was the most kind of like focused kid that he had ever worked with or to that point at least. Yeah, that totally makes sense actually. That's one of the things I thought about when I was watching is like you had to be what, eight or nine or so when you were making it. And I remember like my nephews when they were eight or nine and they could have never sat so still or been so sort of (laughs) 
calm, uh, (laughs) especially surrounded by like the chaos of this movie. So there's like, you know, video games everywhere. There's the whole scene of being in like a hostess food truck. And, you know, I don't know many eight or nine year old kids that could have been so calm. There's a lot of distraction. (laughs) Yeah. So when's the last time you saw the movie? The last time I watched it, um, we actually did a, um, there was an event this summer out in Dallas and um, the uh, event organizers, uh, a really, really great guy named Christian. He brought out the writer and producer. So I hadn't seen them in, in, you know, 30 years, basically since we made the movie. Yeah. And, uh, and they did a, they did a screening at the Alamo draft house out in Dallas. Oh, that I mean, it was I lived three hours and really I would great. have absolutely made the trip if I'd known about that. So. Oh, no kidding. Oh uh, yeah. It was, a, it was a really fun event. You know, it's funny when I was thinking about rewatching the film, I was kind of nervous because I was like, you know, I've loved this film my whole life and I've seen it probably in the last five or six years. But my fear watching it was like, I I have a feeling when I watch this back, it's just going to feel like an hour and a half long Nintendo commercial, but it totally doesn't. (laughs) Like it's, it's like, it's actually really holds up. Uh, I mean, Fred Savage was, you know, sort of at the beginning of his really prime time. You know, he's Kevin Arnold. He had, I guess, the Wonder Years was just coming out about that time. And Christian Slater was, you know, on top of the world at that point. So incredible cast. (laughs) And obviously Jenny Lewis, who continues to do wonderful things. I don't have a ton of memories about being eight or nine years old, but I'm curious if you have any great memories or fun memories from being on the set of this film. Yeah, I mean, there's... You know, we we spent all this time kind of tripping around Nevada and and uh, Northern California, and it you know it's a really <laughs> it's a really beautiful place. You know, so some of my you know some of my best memories are just going through all that area. You know, it's very remote, but uh, you know we were we were having such a good time. Yeah, I, I you know I really enjoyed that that part of it, kind of just exploring that that part of the country. How long did the production actually last? Boy, my memory, <laughs> my memory again of it is so uh, yeah, sort of spotty. Um, I think it was two months, but uh, but you know, don't quote me. Yeah, well, I only ask because I'm curious if like you were able to really form relationships. I mean, so the cast of this film, the major names were Fred Savage, Jenny Lewis, Christian Slater, and Bo Bridges, all of whom are fantastic in the film. And I just didn't know if, if it was long enough or, you know, or what it's like when you're a kid, if it's, if that's a long enough time to like develop real friendships there, or if it's just like, those are just people you, you knew very briefly as a kid. Um, I think, you know, I, I think every film is, is a bonding experience. You know, they say that, you know, bonding is like shared trauma (laughs) and every film is, is such a trauma, you know, it's, it's always such a kind of intense process. So I, you know, I always end up bonding, you know, with people and this was no exception, you know, Jenny, Jenny and I, you know, like you said, Fred, Fred was kind of doing, he was wonder years at that time. So, you know, he was, he was really the biggest, you know, kid actor in the world. Yeah. And so, you know, subsequently he was pretty, he was pretty busy, you know, like as you can imagine, you know, like at at that moment he had a very full life. And so Jenny and I ended up kind of hanging out more on set, you know? Yeah. So, so we really, we really bonded. I mean, everybody does, but you know, of course there's little whatever groups and stuff that, that happen. Also um, Fred's brother, was on set um, oh, nice. during that time. 
and he was kind of closer to my age and so we ended up hanging out a lot and and we really got on and and he and I are still friends, you know, today. That's amazing. We're, uh, so we're talking Ben Savage? Ben, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nice. That's amazing. I'm yeah. a big fan of his as well. So yeah, yeah. So what we do on this podcast, in case you don't know, is every week we look back exactly 30 years of what was happening in pop culture. And so on the show, uh, we're coming up on the end of 1989 and about to transition into a whole new decade. And as I watched this movie today, I, I just thought, man, this is like the perfect movie film to sort of mark the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s. There's so much like <laughs> truly really 80s-esque things that are happening, but then also yeah. the whole like video <laughs> Armageddon, that whole Nintendo festival thing feels so 90s. Uh and I just <laughs> I loved that, but then I was looking at your sort of IMDb credits and really your career, especially as a child, is sort of the same way. Like you have this perfect balance of the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s. So I'm just going to read off a few of the folks who you worked with early in your career. In addition to Fred Savage, Jenny Lewis, Christian Slater, and Bo Bridges, we had Robert Duvall, Christian Bale, Bill Pullman, Mayim Bialik, Jennifer Aniston, pre-Friends, that's amazing, Randy Quaid, and maybe the most 80s name on the list is Rick Springfield. And you, <laughs> you were in Roseanne, 21 Jump Street. The fact that you played like the younger version of Johnny Depp, of a Johnny Depp character. I mean, like what's more 80s than that, you know? It's, it's a pretty impressive list. I never... For, I never got to meet him. I was so I was so really? sad. I, you know, yeah. I I I, was, I wanted to meet him so bad, but all of our, you know, it was all flashback stuff. Yeah. You know, on that show. So so, yeah. I never got to meet meet so, those guys. That's crazy, man. I I mean, I loved Twenty One Jump Street. So when I saw that on there, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" He got to play Johnny Depp. And then obviously you're, you know, wildly successful Newsies and Little Big League, both of which were so sort of momentous in their time. And so you just had, you've had quite a career, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, as a, boy, it's, as it's a kid, around. like to get to do all of that before you were like 15 years old is just amazing to me. Yeah. 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 It was quite a, quite a lineup of, you know, uh, uh, like really gifted performers. You know, I, I feel really lucky to have worked with all those people. Well, and you know, in my mind, you're the first kid in the world that ever got to play Super Mario Brothers three. So, like, like I'm I'm not kidding when I say I think of this film all the time. Every time I, I either see that game somewhere, Super Mario three, or that I hear the word California, because the way that you say California throughout that film, I quote that all the time. And anytime people are talking about California, I'm like California, and they just look at me like I'm nuts. But <laughs> like what? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, man, thanks so much for taking some time to talk to us on the show. Would love to have you back over the next couple of years as we come up on more projects that you did in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me, man. That was, that was fun. All right, Luke. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. It was so fun for me to get to talk to Luke. I look forward to bringing him back on in a couple of years when we look back at the 1992 release of Newsies. Thanks so much to him for being a part of this episode. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. If you're in the Houston area, be sure to join me tomorrow night, Tuesday, December 17th, for our final 30 pop trivia night of the 80s at 7 p.m. at Cafeza. Come January, all of our trivia nights for the next decade will be tied to 90s pop culture. 
It's always so much fun, and it will be especially so this week as we look back not just at December of 89, but at all kinds of 80s holiday goodness. And we have a couple brand new sponsors for the event. I'll just say, you're going to want to win this one. We've got two episodes left for the season, and then we'll start in January with season two, looking back at 1990. I'll be back next week with episode 43, looking back 30 years at the series debut of The Simpsons. In the meantime, know this. I love the Power Glove. It's so bad. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.